0: This is the Microsoft Cloud Show, episode 305. Today, AC and I are going to talk about power, recorded live May 30th, 2019. Hey, we all know that sometimes shift happens. That's why this spring, the inaugural Shift Happens Conference will be coming to Washington DC on June 12th to June 13th. Hear from industry heavy hitters, change agents and innovators as they share digital transformation wisdom. With keynotes by Microsoft's Jeff Teeper and Tony Towns-Whitley and analyst insights from Constellation and Forrester Research, this event is not to be missed. Over two days, find out how to get the most out of your Office 365 and SharePoint investments and hear about the successes and failures firsthand from some of the largest and most regulated organizations. For more information, visit www.shifthappenscon.com and use the discount code CLOUDSHOW for 25% off registration for both single and group discounts. AC in the house, how you doing? <coughs> so great, there
1: we go. <laughs> uh, I'm doing okay. I am suffering from post-Vegas. I got home, it's fine in Vegas and you then... cream on that, you know. Uh, yeah, oh, sure. That's what penicillin's for? Exactly. Uh, no, I, um, no, to our listeners, that's not what's going on. Um, <laughs> I came home to my wife and my son who had head and chest colds and I was fine for a couple of days. And then, of course, it started to hit me this week. So I'm a bit short-winded, sound a little croaky. You and I'm going to do my best to uh, jump on mute as much as I can today when uh, when I feel, feel a fit coming on.
0: Yeah, you know, that that's really funny because I, I got back from SPC and um, I was chatting with Vicky, my wife, and she said, man, you sound you sound pretty bad. And I was like, oh, yeah, I've got Vegas nose. And, and I was like... Not that kind of Vegas nose. <laughs> like yeah, yeah, air conditioning and bad climate and smoky grossness. Vegas nose, not that other kind. Yeah, yeah, and dryness <laughs> and
1: all. I mean, I just yeah, not the nose candy.
0: Oh, definitely. Yeah, no, it was a uh, it was a fun week, but really nice to be home. Man, it's just it's just tough being in that environment. For it wasn't even that long. I'm just I'm very intolerant of that environment now.
1: You know, it's funny. I, I think we're getting... I think, I don't know if we talked about this in the last episode, but... Um, we're getting grumpy and old? Is that about what you say? <laughs> well, I was just going to say old, but yeah, I think there's some things we're definitely grumpy about. At least the, the Microsoft Teams team and the OneDrive team would probably say, yeah, they're very grumpy. But the... Yeah, I mean, I just... I don't have the... It, you know what it is about Vegas is I, I think this is the old side of you getting getting into it where I don't have the tolerance for people around me who are just... When they're drunk and I'm not... I haven't been partying or like a lot of cigarette smoke or just a bunch of stupid freaking decisions. I'm just like, I don't have the tolerance for that stuff. And it's just, that is called Vegas. Yeah,
0: yeah. I actually quite like going there with friends when you're not involved in work and you don't have to be serious and, and you can hang yeah. out by the pool for a few days. It's a nice spot, but being there and, and being
1: serious, well, not serious, but you know what I mean, in work mode. Yeah. It's I, liked, I like adulting in <laughs> Vegas now. I don't like partying in Vegas anymore. Like, yeah, like you said, I like to hang by the pool. I love the shows. I love the really good food, but I just don't have it in me to be out until three or four in the morning. I just... No, I would die these days. Literally, I would probably die. It just makes me feel so bad.
0: Yeah. Anywho, it's nice to be home, even though you're not feeling that great. It was a good week of uh, absorption in Office 365 and SharePoint, but uh, back into the swing of things. Yeah, how's your week going since you've been back anyway?
1: It's been going pretty good. been It's been quite productive. I've got a project that wraps up at the end of June, and um, a bunch of content that I do. And uh, of course, I'm trying to race to get it all all these things updated. Uh, anybody that's done the Office Developer Camps, you know, you probably see my name on the commit history. I do. I maintain a lot of modules, training modules for Microsoft, and along with a few of the people that work, that I work with. And uh, this week has just been all like it's a lot of updating the modules to use the latest Azure AD. Portal, mm. and the latest release of MSAL, which MSAL shipped GA version 3 for .NET and a couple other languages, but not for all of them. And I was ranting about this yesterday, and I, I know I haven't had many good things to say about them, but maybe they've done a good job. I mean, I tell you, the more that you play with S, the more I play with their SDK, the more I dislike it. And it's, I can't put the line, put my finger on it. Is it that I'm just old and grumpy again, or is it that, you know, I just have a bias against what they've done. But like I sat down yesterday and I tried to create a confidential client. In other words, I was trying yeah. to buy credentials, right? Which I hate their names that they have come up with this stuff, but and I'm just sitting like, how do I go through and log in with this? And I couldn't, so I go to find it and he goes, Oh, if you create this special configuration object and you import this namespace into your project, then you can just say, here's the name of the configuration object. And it will go fetch that magically and suck it into your project. So you don't have to go through and set those different settings and read them yourself. I'm like, okay, so why, don't you, go to my, why don't you come over to my house too and sit next to me and feed me then too because I can't do that myself <laughs> apparently. <either. laughs> of course, yeah. what do I do? I go to the docs. The docs, first, the only doc that I've gone to for MSAL, wah, wah, doesn't work. It tells me, it's like, you'll find this object in this namespace. Guess what's not in that namespace? That object. Go that object. On. And yeah. guess what else? It's not in their docs. <laughs> It's not in the, It's not in what the, the new Git package. It's not <laughs> classic explorer. None of it works. And of course, all their code snippets on their page. You can't try them out because it's not a full project. It's just snippets all over the place. Clutching defeat from the jaws of victory. It's like God, guys, make the, Why do you make this so hard? And he goes, oh, the code's so much easier. I'm like, that's funny because I just replaced the old code with the new code. Looks pretty much the same. Just moved around the deck chairs on the Titanic to me. Yeah. <laughs>
0: So, so the team building MSAL, they're, they're that band, you know, as the ship's going down, they're, you know, they're playing a what you know, they're doing their shtick or their thing on, uh, on the deck and rearranging the deck chairs the all hell and fury is opening up
1: around them. Ah, oh, dear. Let me say one thing about this. I'm, this is, the, I'm going to sum it up. The main reason I do not like using an SDK for authentication, the main reason I don't like it, specifically Microsoft's approach. You can talk about other SDKs. That's fine. I know our friend Waldeck just the other day had some post on on Facebook where he talked about SDKs or REST APIs. I give you a perfect example that really sums up exactly the problem. And the person who I'm talking about, she totally knows who she is and I'm not trying to pick on her. But we had a conversation at the SharePoint conference about MSAL and trying to get the authentication to work. And there was some comment along the lines that I'm going to paraphrase, so I'm not getting it exactly verbatim. But it was something like, it said something about an ID token. I didn't know what an ID token was. I didn't know if I needed it or not. So I just went through and like unchecked and checked and all of a sudden it started working. And then there's the, something like that. It's magic. The thing that pisses me off about what they've done is they have black boxed so much of it because their approach is, auth is really hard. So we're going to make it really easy. If you don't go with their premise that auth is hard, just say, give me a minute and let me explain how this works. Like anything else, like a freaking car. Let me show you how this thing is. Let me show you how this works. Because once you understand how it works, stuff isn't all that complicated. I've never fixed an ice maker before in my life. My ice maker was busted while I was in Vegas. I came home. I jumped online. I went to Angie's List. I filled out a thing saying, I want three quotes to fix an ice maker for a Samsung refrigerator. Submitted it. Got a shower and I'm in the shower. I'm like, you know what? Sorry for the language. That I'm going to give this a shot because it can't get worse than it already is. So I jump on YouTube and I do a search. I find the model number. Do a search on YouTube for ice maker. Well, somebody with some really foul language, well, I guess as foul language as I have started to spouting off about the problem is he showed you have to unscrew this, pop this off, unhook these two wires, and then you got to jiggle this a little bit and pull it out and be careful here, and the whole thing comes out. So, what did I do? I unscrewed that thing, popped up the cover, unhooked two wires, jiggled a little bit, pulled the ice maker out, started looking at a piece. And look at that, my ice maker has got a block of ice, an inch. Ironic as it is, my ice maker has got a block of ice yeah, up. All, around, all around the coil that's supposed to do it. So what do I do? Get a hairdryer out, get some hot water, melt it out, wipe everything down, put it all back together. Or we got ice the next morning. It's like, you know what, this stuff, if you understand how stuff works, it's not yep. that hard.
0: Yeah. No, I totally agree. Yeah. Hallelujah. I think that, that, Please, that inadvertently, the inadvertently trying to make things easier has ended up making things harder. I think so. Yeah. Yeah.
1: That's how I've been. How have you been?
0: <laughs> <laughs> Relatively good in comparison. <laughs> I'm not entirely sure my IceMaker is working, so I better go check that. But um, I haven't had to deal with Auth, so that's nice. Mm. But speaking of bad SDKs, yes, I have been dealing wrangling with a bad SDK for a completely non-Microsoft-related thing. So um, I won't get into what it's about, but yes, I understand and feel your
1: pain. Oh, you're dealing uh, with the, the, the Salesforce Rust API, aren't you?
0: No, I'm only at the fifth layer of hell, not the seventh. Oh, okay, yeah. Salesforce <laughs> <South laughs> is at
1: the seventh layer of hell. <laughs> it, the REST API is most certainly at the seventh layer, yes. <laughs> yes. Although MSAL is climbing down. <laughs> yeah. Sorry.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, um, I have been watching the Chernobyl miniseries, though, which is quite interesting. I don't know about you, but I, I love reading about stuff like that. So I've, I've read a bunch of like reports about what happened at Chernobyl and how it'll happen in Three Mile Island as well and all that sort of stuff. So now it's really interesting watching it get put into a miniseries. And they've done a really good job of it. So now I've kind of gotten into geeking out about nuclear accidents.
1: Have you seen, have you listened to the podcast about Chernobyl, about the, the HP? I am, yes. Yeah, I am listening to the podcast. Yep, it's quite good. It is terrifying. This is, I remember when this happened. I remember watching it on the news when I was a kid. Yeah. And I think... So my wife asked. We watched this. We're watching it as well. And uh, for those of you who don't know what it is, CJ's talking about an HBO miniseries that's on there, and the, it is absolutely fantastic. It starts with the explosion, and then deals with the aftermath. And you think you know about it, and it's just it's incredible how, what the scope and the ex, ex, how extreme it was. But um, you know, you look on Facebook, you look anywhere else. It's got the people are saying that it's got higher ratings than Breaking Bad. It's got higher ratings than Game of Thrones. And everybody's kind of like, you know, why is that? My theory is, is that most of the people that are watching it are people that are our age. We knew what happened when we were a kid when we were kids, but we didn't really know the details of it. Mm-hmm. And so now we're actually learning what actually it was that we remember. And it's yeah. like,
0: I was going to say because
1: as I've watched the miniseries, it's it's
0: good, but I wouldn't I wouldn't rate it higher than Game of Thrones, for example. Mm. I mean, I really like Game of Thrones though, but and I don't know if that's just because I. I knew a bunch of the backstory like about what caused the accident and all of that sort of stuff and the cleanup effort and all that and all of those sorts of things so uh, yeah I'm not sure but I'm really enjoying it anyway
1: Mm. yeah it's good it's really good
0: hey we've got some stuff to get through this week Um, we're going to geek out about power but before that we're going to jump into some news so why don't we hear from one of our great sponsors and we'll be right back. Are you being asked repeatedly to integrate different business systems in ever narrower timeframes and with increasing process complexity? What if you could standardize the way you build these business processes so your team are focusing on higher value tasks versus the nuts and bolts of running the processes and integrations? Nintex can make it happen. With a Nintex platform, workflows from person to person, system to system, to the cloud and back. Got a custom system you want to connect with? No-code extensions let you plug into systems simply and easily using REST and Swagger. With Nintex, work just flows, so your teams can work smarter, work faster, and be more connected than ever. Try it out free for 30 days at www.nintex.com forward slash try All right, AC, we've got three or four news items real quick to get through before we start geeking out about power. Do you want to lead off, or should we get stuck into uh, <laughs> seemingly every week we get one of these? I like ones. what you
1: found. Did you know that not everybody has learned that SSL certs expire? <laughs> <laughs> like, not every major company has learned this? Yeah, yep. Seemingly
0: impossible problem to solve in computer science. The old SSL expiry. Expiry problem and LinkedIn learned the hard way last week on the twenty-second of May. Apparently
1: they had the same problem in two thousand and seventeen. I was gonna say that I was gonna challenge you, said so they learned the hard way as well, because apparently they haven't learned they yet. Haven't learned so I'm not way. sure I'm not sure that they've learned yet. What is it about
0: SSL? I don't understand. Is it because SSL doesn't like natively start popping up bloody dialog boxes on your desktop six weeks out, four weeks out, three weeks out, two weeks out, one week out, or it's just like somebody renews it and be like, sweet job done, can forget about it now. And then somebody right, else right. figures it out later when it
1: expires. My God, if they buy it from GoDaddy, then I mean GoDaddy nags the hell out of you when a domain is about to expire yeah. that you renewed. I'm like, just go buy it from GoDaddy because they won't shut up about a domain that I bought years ago that I've tried to let go. Yeah, it's uh, anyway, so
0: LinkedIn had an SSL cert lapse. It happens to the best of us, including the big guys. Awkward. Mm. I've got another one. Now, this article is bizarrely named, but it's from the Microsoft blog. So it's full of marketing bullshit, but it's enabling innovation and opportunity on the intelligent edge, which what sort of claptrap article heading is that?
1: Is that the outer ring?
0: I'll tell you what ring it is.
1: It's not a pleasant one. (laughs) <laughs> oh, it the children's edition of the, it. our children trading for this for this episode? I'm
0: sorry, parents were no longer PG.
1: I guess. It, I guess to be fair, I kind of I kind of nailed that within the sale right?
0: <laughs> so once you get through the claptrap at the front of this article, there is some interesting tidbits a little later on. They talk about all these wonderful new laptops and devices and blah 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 blah, and then they get into hey, these experiences need a better operating system, basically. And so things like start talking about seamlessly updating Windows and secure by default and always connected and always performant and cloud-connected and AI, and then they get into marketing shenanigans again. But anyway, the long and the short of it is that they start talking about some of the things they're going to start changing in Windows to try and deliver this, I think, for this modern OS and um, some of the foundational elements. So I just thought it was interesting because I guess it shows a little bit of the direction the Windows team at Microsoft are trying to head in some of these new experiences. I, I took it as, yep, we're trying to be more like Chromebooks in the future, not in terms of lack of power. I mean, like, in terms of continually being updated, you don't have to worry about a bunch of these things, stuff like that, which I thought was kind of curious. It's always good to see the Windows team talking about where they're going because I do think, you know, it's the most widely used operating system in the world mm-hmm. and
1: uh, I'd like to see it go somewhere. So, yeah. Anyway. I have one here that I guess this is a, like a mea culpa, but... So, if you go to Microsoft insider.com did you know now... So, of course, we've... To rehash, anybody who's been living under a rock, Microsoft Edge, they decided they were no longer going to use... Uh, what is it called? MSHTML or Edge HTML. For their rendering engine. And they said they're going to switch over and they're going to use uh, Chromium as the core for Edge. So they're rebuilding Chrome or rebuilding Edge as Chromium, which basically means that both the Chrome browser from Google and the Edge browser from, from Microsoft are going to have the same ancestor, so to speak. Mm. So they've had a beta early preview, I don't know what you want to call it, build that's been available on Windows. And they recently, in the last week or two, they've officially released or officially announced uh, what's called a Canary build for Mac OS. Um, mm. So this follows along with what the Chromium project does and Chrome does, where you've got the Chrome browser and then you've got the, the Canary Chrome browser. And what Canary is, is like, it's always the the most breaking features or the, mo- the, mo- the newest stuff that you can turn on and off. But it's what Chrome is going to look like in about, I think it's two months. So you can see what the reviews of it. So basically like, like let's say for example right now we're what we're at the end of May and let's say we're at Chrome 74 Chrome Canary would be at 76 right now. So it, mm-hmm. in two more months we'll get there. Well that's kind of how the edge one is working. So I downloaded it I installed it so I'll give it a shot and of course the very first thing that I noticed was ah, there's no icon in my tray. So I couldn't I just saw like a big black void. I'm like that's kind of cool. I'd like to be able to do that for other stuff.
0: Yeah. Which ring is edge itching? Is this a particular uh, ring or is it
1: uh, just <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't, Oh, you mean uh, as in Dante? No, I'm trying to be crass, but it's not coming over. You're, you're too innocent. No, I know what you're saying. I'm trying to keep it clean.
0: All right. I will install but this Edge browser and...
1: Yeah. yeah it. it's, I tell you what, it's, it's kind of nice and it's kind of awkward. It seems to work pretty good. Um, I haven't had any, any problems from icons missing, but now all of a sudden show up. I don't really notice anything. But I will tell you, the one thing that I do find really, really awkward is that it looks just like Chrome. Hmm. Like, it looks just... It almost it looks almost identical to Chrome. And you've got to, like, stare at it for a second and go, what are you in? I'm like, uh... And gotcha. I know on, on macOS, you can tell pretty easily by clicking on the browser and then looking up at the menu at the top because every app shares the same menu. So you can see it goes Microsoft Edge. But it's like, ah, uh, what is this? So, yeah, gotcha. I mean, it works in... I don't know, I mean... If it helps people get off of IE, then great. I don't really know if I like the fact that there's an IE mode inside of it, that it'll render the, it'll render an IE 11 mode. And it's like, that's not really helping the problem. Well, it helps enterprises though, right? Because they've got stuff that's
0: built that just doesn't work on other things.
1: Well, yeah, but I mean, how does it help? If they already have IE, then how does it help to have a new browser that has IE in it? Well,
0: like Edge was the same. Edge could do IE rendering. I think that, so that my take on this is, and by no means do I think this is like, I'm just trying to explain what I think their thinking is, right? Okay. That's not what I necessarily like about it. But for enterprises, they want a browser that they trust and can control and can manage, right? With security policies and certificates and blah, 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 all the enterprisey features they need, right? And so if they could deploy this and have one browser that users get a good experience when they're surfing the web, but also can support their crappy old apps that they've built and haven't updated for the modern web, Mm -hmm. then I think that's where they're going with it. That would be my read on why Chromium Edge is important because, you know, Edgem, ooh, yeah. Edgem, they can write new apps that work well, you know, internally and users can surf the web well, you know, and not get a broken experience. IT get the management and control and security and stuff they need but they also get a rendering engine that can support all the old crap they haven't updated. And a lot of these apps, they're not in control of. Like, they've bought apps <laughs> from other vendors that don't work well in other browsers yet, or they're stuck on old versions that can't be updated for whatever reason, right? I mean, it's all just excuses, but it's it's reality. I could see why Microsoft has a good advantage in this space or in that area because of this, right? Because IT uses their stuff. And I, honestly, I've wondered for a long time, like, you know, like Slack and everything use their client is all built using what's-it name? Oh uh, gosh. It's all running Electron, up electron right? Yeah, yeah, and it all uses Chrome under the hood, and you know those apps take crap loads of memory and all that sort of stuff. Here's where I think Microsoft are going with it. I think they will build a, an electron equivalent using this new browser that they can then build a bunch more uh, stuff using, like the team's client, for example. So that they don't end up
1: deploying Chrome on every enterprise machine out there in the world. I really hope that what comes out of this is like a memory footprint reduction for Chrome or for some competition against Chrome. I love Chrome. Chrome's a great browser. I the only thing I complain about is that it does seem to take up a bunch of memory.
0: Yeah. But well, yeah. Really, you get these runaway processes like that just take gigs of memory. It's bizarre.
1: Yeah, but it, it doesn't so you don't I don't I guess they're not incentivized to really fix that stuff until they have competition. And so I hope that competition does change that. Good. Yeah, competition's good. So
0: we'll see if this goes anywhere. But that's my thought on why Microsoft's doing this and why it's interesting to enterprises. But yeah, outside of that, not sure. But hey, one last thing before we move on. Hewlett Packard bought Cray, you know the supercomputer maker? Mm-hmm. I gotta buy Cray for one point three billion dollars. Holy moly. Yeah, Cray, I mean, Cray was like the bee's knees, right? Yeah. Apparently Cray is public as well, which I thought was pretty interesting. They're paying 35 bucks a share, which is a premium of 17.4% on Cray's last close. Yeah, Cray Computers were the business, right? And I I don't really know much about their current products, but apparently they make some pretty sweet stuff. So HP are getting into the supercomputing business. And apparently they're based in Seattle. (laughs) I've never heard that. No kidding. Yeah, you crazy. There's one of the old guard. It's like watching. What was that? What was that computer maker? Silicon, Silicon Graphics, right? Remember them? Oh,
1: SGI, yeah.
0: SGI, they were the business. I
1: know.
0: They made some those sweet guys. machines. Hey, anyway, we're going to talk about power. So let's hear from a couple of our great sponsors, and we'll be right back. For those of us familiar with Sharegate, we know they've always been about SharePoint and Office 365 migration. But now that we've all moved to the cloud, like me, you're probably thinking about how to scale your Office 365 to a full self-serve environment without worrying about thousands of groups and teams popping up out of nowhere, AKA sprawl. That's why the folks at Sharegate developed Sharegate Apricot. It's a solution that helps us automate our Office 365 group governance by allowing us to collaborate with users to keep everyone accountable for the things they create. This super simple to use in-app experience lets us lighten our load by delegating group management responsibilities to users we trust, AKA no more sprawl. Want to get your hands on Sharegate Apricot? Try it free for 30 days at sharegate.com forward slash cloud show struggling to reproduce problems in your code base? Successful software starts with Raygun. Raygun provides application performance monitoring unlike anything you've experienced before, offering greater clarity around how your software is performing for your customers than any other APM provider. Easily detect and diagnose issues impacting end users and monitor every part of your stack in one place. It's time to get back to building great software instead of fighting it. Start your journey to better software quality. Try Raygun free at raygun.com today. All right, AC. We are going to geek out a little bit about power. And I don't mean like Genghis Khan or Cersei kind of power. <clears throat> I mean like solar and electricity and all of that sort of stuff. And so. Stuff that can kill you. The stuff, well, Cersei could kill you for sure. I Genghis know, Khan could kill you too. In that fact, he killed scary. a lot of people.
1: Um, I should have interrupted. You're right.
0: Yeah, that I know, the stuff that runs through the wires in your house, right? And in mm. your car and things like that. Well, for some people. Anyway, so the reason we got onto this was that, you know, we've done home automation geek outs before a couple of times. Mm. And we briefly touched on what you've done at your house with your power, with power. And so we felt like, hey, why don't we, and I haven't touched this at all, right? So I'm not in the space, but I'm really interested in it. And we got chatting about batteries and all that sort of stuff in a side conversation. And so we, we thought, hey, well, why don't we nerd out about this a little bit and chat about you know what you've done with with power at your house, what you've done with solar and all that sort of stuff and where you're heading and just sort of get a feel for you know what are people up to in this space? Because it's not something I know a lot about. You've done a lot of research on this and, um, and I'm sure a bunch of our listeners will find this really interesting. So why don't we start with where are you at? On your power journey, I know you've done a bunch of work at your house over the last couple of years. But why don't you just sort of give us a, a feel for like what have you done and what led you up to this point so far?
1: Yeah, sure. So I think that let me first set the context, and I'll tell you what I did because I think that setting the context of where I am because like what I would do and what you would do are two very different things based on where we live. You live in the Pacific Northwest, of the United States, where it's. You don't get sun all the time. It's cloudy. It gets cold in the winter. It doesn't get very hot for very long. You get hot in the winter or in the summer about as much as we get cold in the winter. Yeah, gotcha. Um, And then, so I live in uh, northeast Florida in the southeast United States, so uh, western hemisphere. And we, so what we did back in 2016, I guess about three years ago, I added uh, solar panels to our house. And well, not me, but like I had somebody come in and add solar panels to our house. It's a fairly decent sized system. And part of it was a little bit ongoing on a... I didn't do too much calculations. I, I assumed a little more than I probably should have assumed and didn't do as much research on the numbers and stuff when I jumped into it. It was not a, a cheap investment, but I, I probably should have done a little more research. And so what I did is I, I set up... I have a, um, a setup to where I've got three separate like banks of solar panels on my roof... I've got 30, a little over 30 or so facing east. I've got about 22, 20 or something like that facing uh, west. And then I've got eight that are on the back of my house, which is the north side of the house, but they're inverted up. So they're kind of facing south. Oh, yeah. yep. So it's like my community association, my home association doesn't allow us to have them on the street facing part of the house. So they're they're facing south which is the front of the house but they're doing it from like a little bit behind the crest of the roof so you can't see Yeah, yeah got gotcha. that, that way the line of sight type of thing right and so what they do is they're it, they're set up they're just you have all these solar panels that um, it's three year old technology so for those of you who know what this stuff is they're rated at about 185 watts they they uh, are connected to two separate inverters that from there those are connected straight into our fuse boxes so we have two fuse boxes at our house we're a 300 amp a 300 amp service split between two fuse boxes of 150 amps apiece. Gotcha. So the way it works is that you know when you your house will. This is always weird to say it like this, but I didn't and I didn't know much about this stuff until you know we got a Tesla. So we have a, we have an electric car. We have we had to, I had to pay attention a little bit more on like how power is all set up. Like what's the difference between a an amp, a watt, volt, uh, kilowatt hour, and all that stuff. And what you'd end up having to figure this stuff out because you really need to. It helps you understand like where everything goes or how everything's all set up. Sure. And the best way to think about it all is about is to think about it like water, which is kind of ironic because it's electricity and those don't go well together. But, <laughs> but they share some of the same properties in, in many. And pretty much, yeah. And the, so the biggest thing is the biggest thing to think about with power is that it will go wherever it's being consumed, and it will pull from it'll pull from another source when it's deficient. So Mm. it's very simple how our stuff is set up, which is all they did for the solar, our solar setup is that the two inverters are plugged straight into two separate fuses on our fuse boxes, one for each panel. I think they're 40 amp circuits and the house, when it has a demand for power, it pulls from solar first. And when it doesn't, when it needs more power, it pulls from the grid from my local utility company. Gotcha. So I think we produce roughly about fifty to seventy percent of what our needs are. Our bill's gone down quite a bit, but it's an expensive setup. And you're paying for it. You're basically paying a loan for a while. In The United States they give you a thirty percent tax credit at least this year. Up to this year, they give you a thirty percent tax credit. Next year it goes down to twenty six percent, and the next, the following year it goes down to twenty two percent, and that's on the install. So. If you're going to spend 30 grand on a on a solar, it always sounds weird because you always say you're setting up a solar system at your house. It's like, no, not really, not like space. But if, <laughs> I'm going to put a sun on my backyard. Pretty much, yeah. But when you set up a solar system at your house, you are, it, say it costs 30 grand, the government's going to give you 10 grand off on your taxes. Yeah, it's gotcha. Tax time to do that. So that's the way we're set up right now. We also did some other energy efficient stuff at the same time, like put spray foam in, got a hybrid hot water heater. Because it gets hot in Florida, we have a hot water here that effectively has an air conditioner right on top of it. And yeah. So it sucks the heat out of the ambient air in the garage, which is great when you have a hot car that's pulling in from being out in the sun. Yep. And uh, uses that instead of using electricity, a heating element to heat the water. So that's cut gotcha. down power a lot as well.
0: So how much, so you reckon you've reduced your bill on average across the year by about 50%. So you reckon you're, you're generating
1: about 50% of your power yeah, I'll give it to you for apples to apples. But I just sat down this week talking to a local like power consultant about adding in a couple of batteries to the house. My bill, my monthly bill, and this is going to be a jaw dropper to some people, but there's some reasons why it's like this. We got some, let me at least give a, hey, don't crucify me on this. We found the house. We had to move into a house quick because my wife was pregnant, daughter was coming. The house we were in was way too small. We couldn't, we couldn't do it without having everybody living in one bedroom And so we were trying to find a house. It's when the market kind of blew up in the United States back in 2008, 2009. Mm. So we had like three months to find a house, close on it, sell our house and move in when everything kind of happened. And um, we found the house that we're in. It was a spec house, it was halfway done. So everything had already been chosen, like the air conditioners, all that stuff. And everything was the cheapest contractor grade possible. So our air conditioners and our windows are horribly efficient. We have three air conditioners in the house because it was horribly designed. And so we have big power demands for that. So my two That's biggest power, power draws are my cars and the, um, air conditioners. Uh, and the air conditioners. My bill used to be, before we got solar, I was trying to get to something. My bill used to be, before we had solar, in the summer, like in July and August in Florida when it's really hot, was pushing $500, um, $500 a month now we're pushing closer to about 150 gotcha cuz right? there's
0: a there's a high generation months as well right
1: yeah and so because what it does right now is that during the day we don't we don't ever consume everything that we use during the day on like a on a clear day yeah but the excess is sold back to our utility company mm. and so we get a credit from them and then when the sun goes down we then start pulling from the grid yeah, And it's a, uh, that's where, so it ends up coming out to where like my bill will be like say 300 bucks, but then we get a $120 credit or something like that. Yeah. I see. I see. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I mean, in fact, you're not, you're not just generating 50% of your power. You're generating a lot more than that because you don't sell power to the grid for the same price you buy it at. Right. So even though your bill is reduced 50%, to get it to reduce 50%, you've got to generate a lot more than that.
1: Well, so kinda, so we're so the, for people who are listening to this, when you decide that you want to do something like this, you really have to look at your situation where you live, not just in the country or in yeah. the in the world, but you also have to look at what your local like political and economic climate is like so mm. for example, our electric authority right now, we do something called net metering, which is they don 't do it anymore, but I 'm grandfathered in because they changed it about two years ago, and net metering says that. I sell my power back to them for the same rate that I pay it. Oh, interesting. But that what it does not include is it doesn't include taxes, hookup, fuel cost, stuff like that. But the the raw consumption is about the same. So I'm not paying for to put power back on the grid. Interesting. Um, they pay me about the same rate. Now if someone else is going to jump in and do that today. You yeah, can't it won't be the same. Yeah, no, gotcha. it's not the same. You get paid at a much lower rate. Gotcha. Oh, that's cool. I say so.
0: That was about three years. Gosh, that I remember you doing that. But time has flown by. That's surprisingly a long time ago now. So I guess before we go into what's next, what would you change about? Had you done it again? Is there anything about your particular setup that bugs you, or that, or that you would have opted to do slightly differently with the current
1: setup? I think if anything, I might. You know, hindsight's twenty twenty. The setup of the system. No, the only thing I probably would have liked to have done is I wish that I had waited a little bit longer and been able to see into the future for two things. Number one, the solar panels are much more efficient than they were when I got them. So like, for example,
0: output for the same square footage kind of thing.
1: Yeah, get this. So I did my I bought mine in January of 2016. So about three, three and a half years ago, they are rated at 185 watts. Today, if I was putting panels on my house today from the same company that put them on, they'd be putting in either 320 or 30, sorry, 380 or 400 watt panels. Wow. So twice as efficient. Wow. Yeah. So if I'm generating 50% of my power right now, I'd easily be over it with the same number of panels I have. Wow. That's,
0: I didn't realize the tech had Mm -hmm. jumped quite like that. I mean, I guess it's like processes, right? The whole.
1: Well, it depends on where you get them from too, because it's like the one, like the, Ironically, the ones that from Tesla, which are made by Panasonic, they're probably like number three in the industry. But there's ones by a company called Sunpower, which are the ones I'm talking about, the 380 or 400. So they're more expensive, sure. but they're also, you're going to get your payback a lot faster. So well, that's does what also you
0: could have put
1: in half the number of panels for the same production. Yeah. So my setup is rated at a 16.2 kilowatt system. I see. So in term, people are like some people who have done this if they're just trying to get some bearings on this. And if the what the other thing that I would have liked to have done is that at the time you had to have a separate inverter. So I have these two things that look like they're kind of like the size of a, a tankless hot water heater. They're fairly big, maybe like a like a check baggage that you put in a a small check baggage for an airplane. Yep. yep. I have two of these in the garage and all of the solar panels are connected. To those. And then those are the things that convert the power from, and I'm going to screw this up, from DC to AC. Yep. And then pump them into the fuse box. The thing that's nice now is that all the panels have micro inverters on them. So you don't need these big inverters anymore. They just go straight, they all just kind of grid all together and then they just join straight into your fuse box. Huh, it all comes out as an AC. Yeah. And it's all, it's all done at the manufacturing plant, everything. So it's a lot simpler. So those are the two things, but they're just, those are just things that tech has gotten better. And I wish that I had known that, waited maybe about a year and a half, because that was a huge difference pretty quick. I see. Cool. Cool.
0: So what do you think? Have there been any downsides in terms of moving to solar? Anything that, I guess you're in the sort of boat where you're effectively like you were, except now your bill's cheaper.
1: Yeah. Do you notice, so you notice anything else you got to think about or... Um, the only thing that I think that I, that I didn't know that if this is part of my fault, either not listening carefully enough or not asking the right question or understanding it, and this is part I wish I'd done more research, I thought when we lost power, we'd be fine. Like when the sun's up. Mm-hmm. So like, for example, if a hurricane comes blazing through Florida and we lose power for a day, I'm not going to have power at night because there's no sun, but during the day, I'll have power. Yeah. And that's not true. And the reason for that, and once you understand it, it makes sense. Again... Back to my water analogy, power's going to go wherever it can go. And if I'm generating power and the grid is down, then I'm feeding my house. But if I'm not using all that power, then it's going back to the grid and I'm selling it back to the grid. And if a utility worker is out there working on the lines and they think the power's down, they're going to get electrocuted. But can you isolate your, can you flip
0: an, we have a generator. We have to isolate ourselves from the grid to be able to use the generator so that we don't zap people off poles.
1: Yeah, it's called a transfer a switch.
0: Yeah. yeah, that's what I was looking for. Transfer switch, yeah.
1: Yeah, it's called a transfer switch. And it costs a couple hundred dollars or a thousand dollars to get put in. And it effectively what it does is it just it basically says when I'm not getting it's kind of like a like with water you have like a flow, like a, an air gap. So yeah. if power's not coming into the house, then it just like drops the hammer and it's like all right, nothing can go out. Gotcha. Right. So gotcha. That's the one thing that I, I was a little surprised at. That, and of course, you go to do the research, and he goes, "Oh, well, your option there is to basically get batteries." And so that's what I'm looking at potentially doing now, for a couple different reasons. And I don't, I guess, the to fast forward ahead, I don't know what I'm going to do yet. I don't know if it makes sense yet. I'm now I have all the information, but now I'm doing the calculations. And I, I tell you though, this is the part that I, that I thought would be interesting is getting the details around this and how this stuff works because it was very it's it's complicated it's mm-hmm. expensive but it's very complicated and once you understand it hey back to my MSAL, my MSAL thing <laughs> it makes sense so what we're doing is we're looking we're looking at potentially getting batteries because what we would like what I would ideally like to do in, in a in an ideal situation I would like to have solar panels generating power for me throughout the day and any excess, I'm banking into my batteries. Mm-hmm. And then you're, because of our demands, because I've got two electric cars, there's no way that I'm going to be able to be 100% off the grid because I just, I would have to have find, or uh, physically responsibly. There's no way I could do that. I would have to have a massive amount of solar panels all over my house. To generate uh, enough power. Yeah, I yeah. Mean, it's, just, it's crazy. So yeah. what I would like to do is I'd like to have batteries to take the stuff that I am not using the power that I'm not using during the day, I'd like to bank that in the batteries and basically have that get me through all the way through into, say, like about three or four in the morning or five in the morning until the next day. I have Okay, so here's a question. If you're being
0: paid the same amount that it costs you to buy power from the grid for selling it power to the grid, right? So if it's the same, why would that matter?
1: Why does it... So let me change one factor for you and and then see if you ask the same question. Okay. I'm locked in at a rate that I pay that I am, pay, I am compensated for the electricity I send back to the grid. What I am not locked in at is the rate that I pay. I see. So that could change. Our local electric authority is kind of behind the times and they're trying to catch up. And there's been a bunch of news that's come out recently where they said they're going to have a $3 billion shortfall in the next few years. Mm. And so what they're going to have to do is they're, over the next 10 years, they have a plan to jack rates up by anywhere from 40 to 52% to be able to cover the short, shortfall. So people's bills are going to go up on average around 500 bucks. Now it's, a, it's still like all being discussed right now. It's not guaranteed, yeah, but what is guaranteed is they don't have enough money. So why am I looking to do this? I'm looking to do this to insulate my, my, myself from much higher costs for the next, uh, coming up in the next couple of years. Yeah, gotcha. Okay. So that's one. The other part is because it just makes sense. Uh, it's just, it's mm-hmm. the right thing to do. But again, you know, how expensive is, how much you willing to spend to, to do that Yeah. And then the other side too, is that, you know, my house is my place of business. And so when we lose power, which is not as often as you guys do, but when we lose power, I'm out of work. Sure. Yeah. It's hard to do, uh, do stuff without juice.
0: Yeah. So, so yeah, so I see. So it's, it's price management. It's, it's the right thing to do. And it's also to save you bacon during power outages.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Pretty, pretty much. And, it's really just trying to figure out like, I really want to make it to where I'm only using the grid to supplement my needs when I don't, when I can't do it. Like when the grid's online, yeah, I, I would use the grid to charge the cars or I would use the grid to run the oven, the stove and two of the air conditioners at the same well, time. But
0: it, but it makes sense to, I mean, I can totally imagine if the power prices go up, it totally makes sense to charge your cars during the evening and at night when you're not generating power with all the power you've generated during the day because you're effectively charging them with cheap power,
1: right? You kind of are, but the thing is that what most places are doing, most communities are going to what's called a peak metering where you pay a higher rate. Like in, in where I live in Northeast Florida, they're talking about having a rate that's going to be 700 times, seven times greater than what we pay right now from during the summer months from 12 p.m. to 7 p.m. because that's when there's the most usage and the most heat going outside so the air conditioner will be used the most. I see. So I want to use my solar during that time. I want to bank the excess during that time. And then when the sun goes down, I'd like to use everything that I banked, but then I don't mind charging my cars from 2 a.m. to 5 a.m.
0: Gotcha. Yeah, I see. I remember in New Zealand, growing up as a kid, there used to be, there'd be two rates of power, right? There'd be like, I don't even remember what they called it. There was like a separate circuit in your house. Mm -hmm. And there was like expensive power on one circuit. That was for all the sockets and the lights and all that. And then there was cheap power, which was on a separate circuit, I believe. And, or they broke it out somehow. And it charged these heat, like, a, we used to have this heater that was effectively like full of concrete.
1: Mm.
0: It was like this big sort of, like a chest of drawers. Okay. Except it was full of bricks. And the power would heat this thing up and it would be really warm. And it would stay really warm and it would sort of, it was sort of like a, you know, radiant heat in some ways and it would, it would radiate heat into your house during the night. But that thing was powered off what they called cheap power. And I think the electric company could turn it on and off based on demand. So I'm pretty sure they could fluctuate and control it somehow. I'm not really 100% sure. It was when I was quite young. I don't know if they do that anymore. But there were basically two rates for power. There was this cheap version that you could use to power these things and and the electric company had more control over it or there was all the other juice, right? So
1: the way they're doing it mostly in the United States these days is that they are, they're saying, you know, there's a certain time of day during two different times a year there's a certain time of day where it's more expensive and there's another time of day where it's not as expensive. And so what they're trying to do is they're trying to incentivize you to balance out your load and do things at a certain time. Don't do your laundry in the afternoon. Do it early in the morning. Do it at night. um, Yeah, don't just take power for granted, right? Yeah.
0: It's really funny because we got chatting about this and it's almost like Florida and Washington are complete opposites, right? So Yeah. So you're talking about power going up in summer and for us, power goes, the price drops in summer. Yeah, And it's so funny because it's like totally a polar opposites because here we don't need a bunch of air conditioning during summer, although some people have it, us included, but it's also the time where all the snow's melting and most of our power comes from hydro and so there's an excess of power during summer. And so the price drops. It's kind of weird. <laughs> yeah.
1: You don't need as much of your power. You, like, you need as much of your power during the winter as exactly. I need it during the summer.
0: Yeah, but we don't get power. So we don't heat our houses using power, right? We're using gas and stuff. So it's we just pay different, like it's not our electric bill that necessarily goes up a lot during winter. It's right. a gas bill. So, But overall, yeah, when everything yeah. nets out, it's... Yeah, similar.
1: One thing that, I mean, you and I have talked a little bit about in the past, that like one of the things that I did do uh, a couple of years ago in 2017, in the middle of 2017, is I, I jumped on this like the startup company called Sense. Um, mm-hmm. I'll put a link to it in the show notes. And what this thing does is it puts little clamps around the mains and the solar mains on your fuse boxes. And so it gives me really detailed data on what and it, it uses machine learning to figure out what device is what and based on the frequency and the pattern that they use, like you see an air conditioner kicks on multiple times a day, it spikes and then it drops down and then it runs for a little while and then falls off. Hmm. It does a really good job of letting you know this stuff. So this is the part where I'm crunching uh, numbers, where I'm really, I'm really digging into power BI poor Jason and John, the bifocal podcast are getting a boatload of emails from me these days, but it's really cool to be able to see, to, to really like slice and dice and see like, okay, how much am I using? When am I using it? but I can also run these calculations it measures it based on an hour by hour basis and I can say you know, if the prices went up from eleven cents to seventy two cents from what would this them, yeah, what would this do to me? I don't have that number yet, but I know it's kind of hard to figure it all out but it's I have the ability to do that that's pretty cool so what we're doing now is that we're looking we are looking to do batteries and mm. there's a bunch of them that are on the market, but the Tesla powerwall twos are the most like advanced and the most, the most impressive ones. Hmm. But the trick is, is, it's not just as easy as buying a battery and plugging it in. Hmm. It's there's, it's kind of complicated. And so, and when you look on their website, it's a, it's actually more expensive than when, than what you look on their website, the website shows something like $8,000 for it. Yeah. But in, real world. Once you get this 250 pound lead weight shipped to you and you go through all the config and everything, you're paying closer to 11 grand. Wow. Yeah. So installed. uh, No, that's another three grand. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Because the the install is more like the company that does it, that's doing it for, that would do it for us. If we decided to do this, I think it's somewhere in the ballpark of like 14 grand for the first one. And then 11 grand for each one after that, because it's something like they don't charge you for the install twice, but there's a lot of stuff that's involved with it. Like you have, there's this thing called a gateway that you got to put in. It's the thing that kind of connects the battery and the main lines of the house together there's usually some rewiring that's involved that you got to move things around depending on the size of your house. Sure. So, But the part that I didn't realize that you, you would think that I just need more capacity, so I need to add more batteries. And it, it's not, it doesn't really work like that. There's a part of that, but there's two other numbers you got to pay attention to. So each one of these batteries is, uh, I think they're 13 and a half kilowatt hour maxes. They're actually 14, but there's a hidden half kilowatt because the batteries, they cannot fully discharge. If they do, then they, they're dead. Gotcha. But you have to look at what peak usage is and yeah. what a surge usage is. So they can only pump through so much. Sure. You can
0: only suck so much from them at a time, right? Right. And things like air conditioning units peak, like that when they start up, that's a big draw,
1: right? Yeah. And so what, and what the batteries do is that if they, if they see a surge come at them, they go into self-protection mode and they shut themselves down. And so you can go in there and you can reset it just like your computer. Just it's a little toggle switch, you turn it on and off, but same thing's going to happen again. It's like tripping a breaker, right? You can't, it's it's a safety thing. You can't put too much loader. Yeah. Yeah. So I see. Interesting. Yeah. So you have to pay attention. You have to look at like, you know, measure up how much stuff you have, what you're using. Does it make sense to do is one going to actually work for your house? It depends. I mean, it depends on what kind of air conditioner you have or what else you're doing in the house. You know, can you, slowly start things up and not like turn everything on at once. Kind of Many years ago,
0: I wanted a new graphics card in my computer, right? Mm-hmm. And so I went and I looked at the graphics card I wanted and I was like, yes, that's what I wanted. And then I very, really, very quickly realized, well, that graphics card is not going to work on the motherboard I have. And then the motherboard was like, well, my processor is not going to work on that new motherboard. And then basically I replaced my entire PC except the hard drives quite quickly, and like I had to get new RAM, I had to get new CPU, everything. I suspect this is kind of one of those can of worms, right? It's like once you start picking back at the, at the edge, you're like, you start finding these things out and
1: you're like, next minute, you're replacing all your air conditioning units in your house. <laughs> yeah, well, and that's the thing. Like when we're, I was sitting down with this consultant a couple of days ago and he's explaining, he's like, you know, so do you want me to give you a call back at the end of the week? And I'm like, you can, but I am not making a decision that fast. This is going to take a long time to run calculations and figure it out. I got to figure out, you know, between two fuse boxes, is one air conditioning more important than all the other ones? So let's move those two over to a different fuse box that won't be on battery backup, but one of them is. I don't want the cars on battery backup. If the power goes out, I'll know ahead of time that power's going to go out so we can charge up. It's really cool. The Tesla batteries are really smart in the sense that they also, they watch the weather through a feed on the internet and they will, when they see a storm that's coming in, Mm. they will go into storm mode and they effectively say, we are not, no battery is going to get used we're going to pass everything to the grid so that we can max out our storage. And they, they charge themselves up, not just from solar, but also from the grid to make sure they're completely topped off before the storm rolls in.
0: Yeah, so you're not
1: caught with a half-empty in- battery. Yeah. That's pretty sweet. Yeah, and they also That's have sweet. transfer switches built into them so that you get that, you know, backup power right away. You know yes. how in the neighborhood, if you have like a brownout kind of a thing, and the power kind of dips off, comes back on? Yeah, it's got conditioning yep. all in it. Yeah. Yeah, the, you don't um,
0: have that. The, I've always wondered why... Tesla don't make it so that you could just plug your cars into your house like wouldn't it be cool to be able to plug your cars into those batteries and for have them to work
1: together yeah as like extenders or something do you know what I mean yes I do because I asked that question when Hurricane Irma came through Florida there were a few people on Facebook that were showing how they had create, how they had set up an inverter connected to their car and they were pulling the power out of their car and mm. had it plugged into their house
0: that'd be pretty sweet like for it an would. emergency situation, that'd be pretty yeah. awesome. It would be. I see slowly dying of a cough
1: here. Hold on. I'll be right back. Yeah, there you I'm go. Back. No. <laughs> um, so it would be, except the batteries in the cars are not designed to do that. They're not designed to lose their discharge that fast. Like You don't have a stove, an oven, an air conditioner, and a crap load of lights plugged into the battery yeah. that's in the car. Yeah, sure. And so they're, they're not designed to discharge that fast. So I asked that question because I guess, I mean, we've talked about on the show. I have two Teslas. I have, it, I have one that's an 85 kilowatt and then one that's 100 kilowatts. So that's 185 kilowatts. Let's just say if you did two of those Tesla Powerwalls, right? Powerwall twos, they have a total capacity of 27 kilowatts. So between my two cars, that's like 16 times the storage or 15 times the storage, something like that. Yeah. Like, holy crap. Now I can actually solve my problem with power. This is awesome. Use the cars. And Tesla has said internally that this is not something that they're going to be, that they're exploring. They're like, technically it's just a software thing, but we don't know. We've never tested the batteries in the cars. Yeah. They weren't for designed teams. for that, I guess. Yeah. So are you going to, are you going to sit there and fry your nice car mm. just to make it through the night when you could have these other batteries? And I, I understand where they're going with it. I was like, I had heard that they may be doing this. So I asked the question. He's like, Yeah. So they've said that that's not on their road it is on their roadmap but they don't have any kind of priority on it right now so I was like yeah ah. So I can understand that Yeah I mean yeah One, they've designed it
0: for a certain rate of discharge yeah. when you're driving and all that sort of stuff heat generation in the battery packs all that sort of stuff and so yeah changing all those parameters is Yeah you know, I'm sure somebody at Tesla has done all the model on it and figured it all out but they're like uh, this will also open us up to support and warranty and all of that sort of stuff right yeah
1: yeah well the, and the other thing too the thing that they are working on that i find that that is interesting is they are trying to make their power walls the software that runs the power walls it's called gateway they're trying to make that a lot smarter so to be smarter with the car so if you have a tesla car and you have the tesla power wall it's a lot smarter in the sense that it can tell like oh okay so power goes out we are not going to charge your car or a storm's coming we're going to make sure your cars are fully charged, even though you don't normally say you want them fully charged until this time, until running at night. Let's go ahead and let's make sure they're fully charged. So if you have to leave, you can leave. Let's then also have the battery is only going to be used to power stuff at the house. And it's they're trying to make all that stuff more intelligent. So Yeah, fair enough.
0: Awesome. Well, I think that's uh, that's pretty fascinating. I'd love to keep on top of what you decide to do and hear more about it. If we've I'll, got any listeners that are into this sort of stuff, then definitely send us a tweet or get in contact through our contact form on the website
1: and uh, let us know what you've been up to. Yeah, uh, absolutely. That'd be really good. Yeah, I'll let you know what we end up doing. I mean, we're I'm still I got a lot of research to do. I don't know if it's going to be if I'm even going to decide that it makes sense. But I'll put a couple of links. I'll put a link to the Tesla Powerwall and to the that Sense device that I use. That's really that's pretty slick. I'll put that. Yeah, uh, I'll, I'll put both those is. in there. Those look cool. I'll post a few pictures of our of our sense usage you can see too. I'll, I'll do that from the um, uh, I'll do that on our Facebook page if people wanna when this episode cool. comes out. Yeah, that'd be awesome.
0: All right, AC. Enough about power. It's time for the picks. CJ's HyperFish automates the collection of user profile information from users and organizational directories such as Office 365, SharePoint, Active Directory, and HR systems. The secure service supports on premises, hybrid, and online environments. Bring your directory to life at hyperfish.com.
1: AC's Voitanos delivers on demand video based training for developers on the latest SharePoint extensibility model from Microsoft in his course, Mastering the SharePoint Framework.
0: What do you got for us this week? Anything exciting?
1: Yeah. You want to switch from power to space? Hell yeah. This is awesome. So, you know the guy, Everyday Astronaut. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he's great. So he did a 55 minute video on YouTube. He had like donations and everything to get this done, and he basically the title of it is "Is SpaceX Raptor Engine the King of Rocket Engines?" And he picks apart like partial flow, full flow, what the Americans did, what the Russians did, how the Space Shuttle engine was the most efficient engine that was out there, how the F1 stuck up to it. He does a really good job of comparing all these. I'm not a rocket scientist, but I definitely understand it a lot better now. And it shows how impressive the engine, the Raptor engine, that they're going to put on their new rocket, why it's so impressive and why it doesn't... It's not the best engine, but it does everything really, really good. So like when you look at the space shuttle engines, they were incredibly efficient, but they were also $25 million to build a piece. Yeah, I see. Whereas the Raptors are something like $2 million to build but they are almost equally as efficient. Wow. It's impressive. You, uh, you definitely, gonna it. have to watch this. This looks yeah. great.
0: Yeah. How about you? Well, staying on the space theme, <laughs> this won't be used to you, but there's a new Lego set. The Eagle has landed. NASA Apollo 11 Lunar Lander revealed. So... That's, this is awesome. This is part of the Creator series. And... um You can go buy. Apparently, I think it's going to be starting ordering on June the 1st. So this will be in a couple of days' time from recording. And it's going to be $99 US on the company's store. So I am definitely going to get one of these to go with my Saturn V. They
1: totally should have released this on the anniversary of Apollo 11.
0: Totally. Well, it is kind of the anniversary.
1: I mean, it is, yeah.
0: It's the 50th anniversary year, I guess. Yeah, so... It is 7 inches tall by 8 inches wide by 7 inches deep. So 20 by 22 by 20 centimeters, depicting the eagle on the lunar surface. I love it. Scale
1: fit with the minifigures. Oh, yeah. I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. Uh, It's going to be on my list. I love it. I love it a lot. That's awesome, man. That's good. Oh, God, I can't wait. It's going to be awesome. So are you experiencing the same thing I'm experiencing today, which the news kind of came out about this this morning or overnight? Yeah, and people and know that you're into it. <laughs> through every single communication vehicle possible. I'm getting text, private Slack messages, private messages on Teams, Twitter DMs, Facebook messages. Someone even said, "Are you on uh, Snapchat?" No, I'm not. I'm like I'm swiping what is, what is it? Swipe is swipe left good or swipe swipe right good? I don't know. I've never used it. <laughs> I'm a total noob. I've got no idea. I was going to do my tender reference, but now that, I, there we go. CJ, we are old. It's true. I can't say, yeah,
0: I don't know. Maybe i maybe I should learn that if I ever end up in the situation. <laughs> maybe if my wife leaves me from buying too much Lego, then um, I might need to know that.
1: <laughs> your, kid, your kids come home and they like, so you'll, so you'll get, you'll get this when your kids will get to be a certain age and my son is starting to do it. He did it a couple of years ago. He's like, we're guy, We have a couple of years on you. When they start using phrases and you're like, what does that mean? Yeah. And so it was like, they, they come home and they're like, oh, yeah, I swiped right on that. I'm like, is that good or is that it's bad? That good or is know. that bad? I don't know. Yeah. I, I just, I, last year I learned uh, triggered. Oh, that guy was triggered. And I'm like, what does that mean? Like, yeah. <laughs> oh, this finger was on the trigger. I'm like, oh, it was, okay, got it. Classic. Yeah. We are getting old. I, I got a, uh, I have a listener pick that came in actually hot off the press. It actually came in, I think, like yesterday or the day before. All right. Awesome. It's called The Darknet Diaries, Episode 13, The Karna Botnet. In 2012, The Karna Botnet was built and unleashed on the world, but it didn't have any intentions of doing anything malicious. It was built just to help us all understand the internet better. This botnet used the oldest security vulnerability in the book, and the data came out of it was amazing. It was used to scan the internet and create a map of where all the public-facing computers are in the world. And the map it created is remarkable. There's an animated GIF on the link that I'll show you. It's a podcast episode that explains the whole thing and Ivan Wilson from our friend down in I think in Sydney definitely down in Australia shared this with us on our Facebook page but the animated picture of it showing you like where all the public websites are our public cool. computers are it's really really cool wow that's fascinating
0: Good, not that neat
1: yeah. yeah I thought that was pretty awesome
0: really nice hey well we will send out a FIDO two key for you Ivan Wilson Well done. Yeah, man. Excellent. Great show this week, AC. I learned a lot about power. I hope our listeners did too and found it interesting. We covered some good news and, of course, some nice picks there as well and a good pick from our listener. So we will uh, catch you all next week. Absolutely. Cheers. Likewise. Did you like this episode? please tweet about it and drop a five-star review in iTunes. Word-of-mouth recommendations are the most effective ways for us to grow the show. We'd really appreciate it. If you have a question for us, go to microsoftcloudshow.com slash questions, where you can submit it as text or record it as an MP3 or WAV file and provide a link so we can play your question on the show. Our theme music is brought to you by Keith Ritchie. For more information on Keith's music, head to music.krichie.com. You can subscribe to us in iTunes and Google Play Store by searching for Microsoft Cloud Show or via RSS at microsoftcloudshow.com, where you'll also find show notes of each episode. You can also find us on Facebook searching for Microsoft Cloud Show or on Twitter at MS Cloud Show. And finally, sign up for our mailing list by heading over to our website and entering your email to interact with us, participate in upcoming interviews, and other cool